This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 34, Normalizing Disbelief. I've covered eight of the nine best practices for raising freethinkers, encouraging empathy, active moral development, religious literacy, curiosity, the questioning of authority, and engaged coexistence, leaving them unlabeled and making death natural and familiar. Now, all of these are pretty common topics in non-religious parenting. The ninth and last one is something I think is really important, but it's almost never discussed. The importance of normalizing disbelief. A little history first. In the West, for as long as religion has dominated culture, opting out of religion, saying, I don't believe it, has been seen as abnormal to the point of unthinkable. Tolerance has usually meant accepting the rights of others to worship a different God or to worship God in a different way. Many paths to God, that sort of thing. But what about a path that doesn't end at God? In most places and times, that has just been abnormal. Even the various inquisitions were mostly about ferreting out heretics, not non-believers. I commissioned English translations of some interrogation transcripts from the 14th century for the book Voices of Unbelief. Really amazing things to read. The few atheists they uncovered in those interrogations seemed to have mostly baffled the inquisitors and received far lighter punishments than heretics. Same on the Islamic side. The 9th century Persian poet Abu Nuwas was sitting in a mosque when the imam read from the Quran the line, Oh, you infidels. And Abu Nuwas is said to have shouted, Here I am! Now, he was known for this kind of thing. He delighted in shocking polite society with poetry about homosexuality and masturbation. But heresy, well, that was the last straw. So an angry mob drags him to the authorities, assuming that he was a heretical follower of Manichaeism, a rival religion at the time. So they give him the standard test. They order him to spit on a portrait of the prophet Mani, the founder of Manichaeism knowing that he wouldn't be able to do it if he was a follower of money. I'll do you one better, he thinks, and he sticks his finger down his throat and vomits on the portrait. Confused, they let him go. The possibility that he wasn't a believer in any gods or prophets never really crossed their minds. Not only wasn't it normalized, it was just unthinkable. But there have also been several cultures in which atheism was considered an unexceptional, normal thing. China, for example. And I'm not just talking about communist China. Chinese culture has always been one of the most receptive for atheism. Several schools of thought in Chinese philosophy are specifically non-theistic. 
Confucianism, for example, is a secular philosophy focused on reason and natural ethics rather than gods, and it has been the greatest influence on Chinese thought for more than 2,500 years. The Chinese philosopher Lao Tse denied that any conception of a deity can be valid and warned against superstition. And then upon his death, he was revered as a manifestation of a deity himself, which is a thing that happens. Now, there are real benefits to having godlessness as a normal part of the cultural conversation for so long. A clearer picture of atheist ideas emerges from Chinese history than it does from most other cultures because, for one thing, it's continuous over that time, and also because the thoughts of atheists were valued and preserved in their own words. Most of the voices of unbelief in Europe, for example, prior to the 15th century, are preserved only in the writings of their critics. India is another country with a long history of normalized disbelief. Samkhya, the oldest of the six schools of Hinduism, rejects the idea of gods entirely. And a Hindu Karvaka text from 2,300 years ago said, Do not perform religious acts. There is no heaven, no final liberation, nor any soul in another world. While life remains, let a man live happily. Nothing is beyond death. Buddhist teaching often includes this specific caution that theistic beliefs and the desires that accompany them can get in the way of achieving nirvana, the total freedom from suffering that is the goal of Buddhist practice. And as both religions grew and diversified, Hinduism and Buddhism, both of them retained non-theistic branches. So you can check out more of that fascinating history in part two of Atheism for Dummies, but an episode on normalizing disbelief needs some of that deeper history to show that there are many places and times in which it has already been a normal thing. It's not some modern innovation. I want my kids to make their own worldview choices, and I trust them to do that. That's free thought. Even if they land in a different place from me, it's likely to be something that expresses the excellent values they already have. And I'd like them to have the same opportunity to consider a non-theistic worldview as a theistic one. In part because I think it's beautiful and inspiring and, you know, true. And one of the best things I can do for that is to make the idea of religious disbelief normal. We don't live without consolations. We have different consolations. We live in a universe no less wonderful and inspiring. We just have a different understanding of the source of the inspiration. Instead of turning to a god for comfort, we turn to each other. Instead of looking to a deity for justice and order and meaning and compassion, we create those things ourselves. Our results vary, sure they do, but no more than religious results. It's a different approach to being human, but a perfectly normal one. Europe rapidly secularized after the 1950s. The British Humanist Association estimates that half of all public figures in the UK, celebrities and politicians, are out non-theists. It's simply not a big deal. It is normal. In the U.S., on the other hand, in 1990, the religiously unaffiliated were only 8% of the population, and only about a third of those were actual non-believers. It's hard to feel normal with those numbers. But now it's 29% unaffiliated in the U.S., nearly one in three. For millennials, 
that number jumps to 35%. Twice as many millennials are religiously unaffiliated as their parents, and three times as many as their grandparents. For Generation Z, born since 1995, that number is approaching one in two, and about half of those are outright non-believers, already at their age. That doesn't even count those who will walk away from religion in their 30s and 40s. Now, in a very real way, our kids are way ahead of us in normalizing disbelief. It's just far less common for religious belief or disbelief to be a big deal among high school kids. In more places than ever before, it simply matters less than it did a couple of generations ago. My son was in this group of eight close friends in high school in a conservative suburb of Atlanta. And they discovered one day that all of them except one were non-believers. Yet all of their parents, except us, were Christians. There's the demographic wave of secularism in a North Atlanta nutshell. But there's a funny asterisk on all this, one that I see whenever I talk to the non-religious parents of non-religious kids. They say, oh, our daughter's non-religious, all right, but she just isn't that, you know, committed to it. She could take it or leave it. I think she just hasn't seen religion for what it is yet. She says she's agnostic or even spiritual but not religious, and the parent will roll her eyes. That's followed by an uneasy laugh, because of course, of course, we want them to find their own way, of course, of course. And hey, at least she's not some crazed evangelical. I have had this basic conversation dozens of times. And I tell them that I don't mind my son shrugging about religion, which he does, because I know what's behind that shrug. It's similar to the generational shift in civil rights and feminism and other movements as they pass the torch that they've labored to keep alight to their children, only to get that galling shrug in return. African Americans who spend generations fighting for civil rights often hear their kids say, why is everything about race with you? Young women whose mothers and grandmothers fought for women's rights often take those rights for granted, rolling their eyes and asking, why is everything about gender with you? As galling as it is, it's actually a good sign that they can even ask that. Those struggles are far from over, but the question represents progress. And it can be exasperating when our secular kids look at us with our atheist memes and groups and rallies and say, why are you so obsessed with religion? Can't you just be an atheist? It's actually a good sign. It's a normalizing sign. We see the toxic effects of conservative religion on our government and culture, especially right now. But there are good demographic reasons to believe that our kids will live in a much saner religious landscape and one in which disbelief is perfectly normal. The religion of their immediate peers tends to be less aggressive, less divisive, and less dogmatic and more progressive and coexistent than the religion we have struggled with. My religious disbelief isn't the center of who I am. It's not the most interesting thing about me, I hope. I went through a few years when it kind of was, when my kids were very young, and I think it's common to go through that. But I think my process of raising freethinkers was helped when I integrated disbelief more into my identity, I'm still entirely out, obviously. But it isn't the first, second, and third thing you learn about me anymore. I don't call myself an unabashed atheist or an avowed atheist because those are frankly denormalizing. 
They imply some kind of heroic transgression of norms is going on. And I've seen the effect that it often has on our kids, especially our teenagers. For most of them, it is a less exceptional thing than it has been for most of us. And we should ideally be raising them not for the world we've lived in, but for the world they will live in. When relaxed, shrugging secularism meets relaxed, shrugging religion, they tend to set their belief differences aside and work on issues that matter to both of them. It's a better place. And I think that's where we're headed. Hi, it's Dale McGowan. Before I sign off, I want to tell you about another Only Sky podcast. Pin Drop with Anthony Pin is a podcast celebrating human creativity in the broadest sense. The urge to create something that didn't exist before, whether a book or visual art, music or dance, a new community or a social movement. Anthony's guests in season one include Sasha Sagan, author of For Small Creatures Such As We, modern art curator Valerie Castle Oliver, historian Chris Cameron, filmmaker Jeremiah Kamara, visual artist Jamal Cyrus, hip-hop activist Harry Allen, visual artist Anglebeer Matoire, counselor Candace Gorham, theologian Philip Reed Butler, and professor of secular studies Phil Zuckerman. Subscribe to Pin Drop with Anthony Pin wherever you get your podcasts. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.